Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Tom Schreiner to the podcast. Dr. Schreiner serves as the James Buchanan Harrison Professor of New Testament Interpretation and Professor of Biblical Theology, as well as serving as the Associate Dean of the School of Theology at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He's an accomplished scholar, having released many books and commentaries, including his recently re-released commentary on First and Second Peter and Jude as part of the Christian Standard Commentary Series. Dr. Schreiner, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Uh, thank you, Dr. Allen. It's wonderful to be with you. It's delightful to have you in the studio today. You're in Kansas City, where you'll be speaking in chapel tomorrow and doing with your son Patrick a, a little workshop for local pastors. So welcome to Kansas City. We're looking forward to it. It should be exciting. And uh, Patrick and Hannah have been sufficient hosts for you guys? Uh, they've been fantastic. And, and the grandkids. The most been, important part. The most important part. Yeah. That's great. Well, listen, we're delighted to have you in Kansas City and look forward to tomorrow's workshop. And uh, I know local pastors will be well served through that. Uh, Before we get to our topic today, and the topic is uh, Preaching Jude, before we get to that, give us a few words of update on your family and your ministry, perhaps teaching, writing projects. Yeah, well, our family's uh, doing well. We have 10 grandkids, and our daughter got married in the last year and a half. So, you know, all our kids are married, and that's a delight. Uh, My big project these days is the Book of Revelation. I have a book coming out called The Joy of Hearing uh, that it's going to be published by Crossway. Patrick actually has a book in that uh, series as well coming out on Acts. Um, and then I'm writing the Baker commentary on Revelation. So that's almost killed me, but I've loved doing it. You can do it. So I want to go back so, to the grandkids. Roughly, what are the ages? I don't mean all 10, but from, from how old to how young? From 11 to 1. Okay. Well, wow, that's wonderful. 10 grandkids roughly in 10 years. Exactly. Exactly. And so how often are you able to, to visit with your respective grandchildren? Yeah, we, we get to see most of them two or three times a year. I mean, we have one, uh, one of our sons is in the United Arab Emirates, so we don't get to see him. That's when you thank God for, for Zoom and FaceTime. Yeah, yeah. But actually, we've been there four or five times. Mm. We, we get out there as much as we can. So, but COVID, we couldn't get out there, obviously. Right. So you mentioned the writing projects. Now, are you currently on sabbatical? No, I was on sabbatical in the spring, but I'm not on sabbatical now. Okay, so okay. I'm teaching Revelation as a doctoral seminar, and I'm teaching Romans as a Greek exegesis course right now. Good for you and mm-hmm. for the students. Well, today we're talking about preaching Jude, and uh, give us a word of context on your commentary on First and Second Peter and Jude, and you know, when you originally wrote it and why it's been recently re-released. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I wrote it, man, I think 2003 or so. And in those days, we used the NIB, and uh, it was updated, and now we're using the Christian Standard Commentary. But I didn't just re-release it in terms of the same uh, content. I spent a year going through new commentaries, monographs, articles, Actually, I substantially, significantly increased the size because I wanted to revisit it. And uh, I just love these letters. First, Second Peter and Jude, they, they mean so much to me. And, you know, Second Peter and Jude are, we're going to talk about Jude today. They're, they're often ignored, and I don't think they should be. So before I get to Jude, I'm curious with your you know, reworking through those three books, did you change 
uh, any your interpretation on any key passage or any key conclusion? You know, that's that's really interesting. I, I really didn't. And I'm known to be a person who changes things. But I, yeah, I didn't change anything really major. I'm, I pretty much stayed the same. Okay, well, then I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're talking about the book of Jude. And, um, you know, it's a small New Testament letter. And as you have already referenced, it's an often overlooked New Testament letter. Why is it so overlooked? Well, I think it's overlooked because it's short. You know, you think of Second and Third John, Philemon, those the short epistles tend to be overlooked. I think another reason is people come to Jude and they say, "Well, this book's all about judgment. There's there's not there's not a lot of hope in it." I don't I don't think that's right, but I I can see how people would respond to that initially, and then maybe they say, "Well, there's weird things in it, like." He quotes from the Assumption of Moses and First Enoch and what's going on in this book? So it's short, it's off overlooked. Perhaps it's, it's complicated to the reader. Perhaps uh, it has uh, interpretive challenges. So maybe pastors are, are reticent to preach it. Um, make the counter argument. Why, though it's often overlooked, why, why pastors should be studying the book of Jude, why pastors should be uh, preaching the book of Jude. Yeah, I, I would say, why did, he, why did he write this letter? Because there were Christians who I think heard, or at least people who claimed to be Christians, I should say, who heard the Pauline gospel, and then they responded by saying, it doesn't matter how we live. We can live however we want. We can live licentiously. We, we, can, we can turn to sin, and it's fine. So I think, I think Jude wrote to say that's not true. The, so he's writing as a pastor to, in a situation where antinomianism is uh, spreading in the churches. And he's saying that's not true. You, we need to contend for the faith. And the faith is, yes, the gospel is free. It's good news, but the gospel changes us. So I think Jude is saying, verse 3, right, we're to— were to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. And that faith includes godly living. And then the other thing I'd say is, don't miss the beginning and end of this letter. Because what does he say at the end, at the beginning? You're, you're, you're called and loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. And at the end, we have that beautiful doxology. Now, to the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand and so forth and so on. So you have the, that, that beautiful framework for the letter that is emphasizing the grace of God. So he says to the readers, don't think you can live a licentious lifestyle, but he frames it with, you can't do it on your own. So you kind of got ahead of me, but, but that's where I was wanting to go anyway, yeah. but I'm going to tee you up perhaps to elaborate a, a touch more. And uh, the question in my mind to ask was, or, or the statement to make, and the question asked was this, you know, for many pastors, when they think of Jude, they think of that opening statement, you know, contend earnestly for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And then their mind goes to that concluding doxology, that concluding benediction. And so they kind of think of the parameters of the book, but perhaps can't recall, like, what is this little letter actually about? So help us to understand, you know, what falls between that, that opening word of, uh, of instruction to contend earnestly and this concluding benediction? What's taking place in the middle of this little book? 
Yeah. Well, I think I think he talks about verse four, contempt for the faith. Why? Because they there are people who've come in and are spreading false teachings. They're turning the grace of our God, he says, into sensuality and denying uh, Jesus Christ, our Master and Lord. So then, really, he mainly emphasizes in verse in the meat of the letter. Look, those who fall into sin in this way, they won't, they won't escape judgment. Judgment is is coming now. Now I should say, you know, verse twenty. In a way, verse twenty could could be the theme of the book as well. Uh, where, or actually, it's verse twenty-one. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So I think that's what he's saying to the readers. Don't don't follow the false teachers. Keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourself up in the most holy faith by prayer, and as you wait for the second coming of Jesus. So watch out. What's the meat of the book about? Watch out for these false teachers. So when you look at this book and you roll it up um, and you think about preaching this book. Now, I'm curious. You've had you know pastoral preaching ministry for many years. Have you ever preached to the book of Jude personally? <laughs> I did not. I feel bad about that, but I never did. I, I wanted to, but it just takes time to get to every, every letter, and I never got to it. So if you were to preach to the book— uh, any hunch how many sermons you might build preaching through this book? Well, I would actually argue you could do it a number of ways. You could do one sermon. Okay, so argue for the different ways. So, so I, I think there are different ways to preach a lot of books. I think, I think sometimes it's helpful to do one sermon on, on, on a book, even a long book. Let's take Romans. There's a place for doing that. You know, our people, a lot of them now, they're in church only Sunday mornings. They don't hear a lot of the Bible. So there's a place for doing a book as one. I think that's fine. I mean, you're going to have to move quickly, right, if you do it that way and and see the structure of the book as a whole. I think there's a place for preaching five sermons, I'd say, or so. So you go much more slowly. I think there's enough here to definitely do that. It is is profound. I don't know if you want me to talk about some features of the yes, of do. the letter. Keep, but, maybe draw out key themes. So, well, uh, first of all, I just want to point out something for preachers. You know, do you like three-point sermons? Jude is, is heaven on earth for three-point sermons because Jude loves triads. So uh, just, just notice verse 2, may m- mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, three things. In verses five through seven, there's three that are that that were judged in history, right? Israel when they did not believe, verse five. The angels in verse six are judged. Sodom and Gomorrah in verse seven. There's another nice little three. In uh, in verse eleven, he speaks about woe to. Here comes our three: Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Um, I actually pointed out. Already in verses 20 and 21, keep yourselves in the love of God doing three things. The Verse 22, actually, I'm actually skipping some of the three, but verse 22, have mercy on those who waver. One, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Two, 
three, have mercy on others with fear. So you like three-point sermons? It's baked in, yeah. Jude's got them all over the place, which tells us, by the way, right, this, this letter is carefully written. He didn't just dash us off. The structure is very careful. Here's another thing I think that's very fascinating. He'll talk about an Old Testament passage or an instant or incident, and then he applies it to the readers. So, so just notice this. Verses 5 through 7, judgment on Israel, right? Judgment on angels, judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he says, verse 8, in the same way these, he uses the word these, he applies the text again and again. Verse 9, he talks about Michael the archangel and the body of Moses, kind of a puzzling passage. But then he says in verse 10, but these, applying it to the people of his day. Verse 11, he speaks about Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Verse 12, he says, these. He quotes Enoch, interesting passage, right in 14 and 15. And then he says, these again in verse 16. He quotes the apostles in 17 and 18. And then he uses the word these in verse 19. So you, you see what he's doing? I mean, Jews actually preaching, isn't he? He's giving, he's looking at the Old Testament scriptures or stories like First Enoch, and then he applies it. And he always applies it. So preachers notice this. He applies it with that word these. Maybe not every English Bible uses the word these. I th- it's hutoi in Greek, but I think most of them do. So look for those these. So, you know, Jude is great because in some ways, it's so nicely organized. He helps us preach it. It's preachable, yeah. an eminently preachable book. So when you think about the topics he's engaging, draw some lines for us from the ancient world to the contemporary world. You know, John Stott in his book on preaching between two worlds talks about, you know, the preacher, the exegete. He is between two worlds, one, one hand in the ancient world, one hand in the, the contemporary world. And, uh, Preachers are about that work, and so help us perhaps even here to, to think of, of ourselves as, as men between two worlds who are preaching and perhaps draw some lines for us from Jude to the ministry in the 21st century. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing I'd say is one of the reasons the gospel doesn't have as much resonance in our culture is because people don't believe there's going to be a judgment. Hmm. I think it's going to be fine. You know, you go to a funeral of unbelievers, and they always say, if they believe in God at all, well, they're fine. They're, they're with God, so forth and so on. Jude, Jude contradicts that notion. And, and look, if you say, well, the people in my church, they don't believe that, but they're buffeted with that idea everywhere they go. We need to be reminded in the Bible, I need to be reminded that, look, judgment's real. God, God does not tolerate sin. And uh, we live in a culture that's really awash with sin, and honestly, it affects us, right? We get used to being in such a culture. Jude reminds us God, God is holy. God will not tolerate sin. There, there really is a judgment coming. So that, that's the first thing I'd say. So secondly, so it really matters if you persevere in the faith. It, it makes a difference if you, if, you, if you hang on. If there's no judgment, then obviously there are other themes in the Bible, right? But if there's no judgment, if it doesn't matter 
how we live, and, and then there's being pressure put on us in the culture. I mean, why not just go along? Why not just get along with people in the culture? I mean, what difference does it make? Jude tells us it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Keep yourself in God's love. You, you, why is Jude writing, contend for the faith, don't join the other side? There, there is another side. There is false teaching. There is false living. I mean, in Jude, it's especially false living. It says, you know, it's, it's sexual sin and anti-authoritarianism. So that's the other thing I'd point out. Sexual sin, we're awash with that, right? And, and rebellion. Uh, these, are, these are two very prominent sins. And, and, and Jude's saying, yeah, these things matter. It makes a difference how you live. And then, and then thirdly, you know, if you're saying to people strongly, look, it makes a difference how you live, then how am I going to do that? The beginning and the end of the book, look, God, God's the one that'll keep you. If you think, well, I can't, I can't I'm not going to be able to make it. Yes, you will make it, not because of your own strength, but because of the grace of God. So I think those three themes are, are powerful themes. So tell us about or, or point out for us, then perhaps give a helpful word of clarification of, of perhaps uh, difficult or com- complicated verses or phrases in this book, like for pastors studying it, what they should be on the lookout for? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, Jude has two kind of strange things. First, uh, this verse 9 where Michael is disputing with the devil and they're arguing about Moses's body. Like, what in the world is uh, going on there? And we can read about that in the Testament of Moses. And then, secondly, he quotes First Enoch in verses 14 and 15, which First Enoch is not in our Bible, right. right? And it's not even in the Roman Catholic Bible. So, like, what, what is going on there? But I would, I would say two things. Uh, just quoting, you know, your, your people are going to want to know about this. Just quoting something doesn't necessarily mean they think it's inspired Scripture. I mean, Paul quotes pagan poets, doesn't he? So that doesn't mean it's, it's Scripture. Clearly, the readers were interested or knew these books. The, so I, I think that's the main thing to say. Look, just, just because he cites these sources, it doesn't mean they're authoritative and inspired. And then, and the other thing I always like to say about First Enoch is when you actually look at the First Enoch quote, what the quote says is so fascinating. Because, you know, if, if you were just to summarize it in one word, he quotes First Enoch, what does it say? The Lord will come and judge the ungodly. Like, well, why did you have to quote First Enoch to say that? You could quote that. You could cite a thousand passages from the Old Testament. It must be that that book was important to the readers. That hmm. must be why he quoted it. And um, I don't have all the answers to all the questions. I don't know. Why does he bring up this dispute over Moses' body? Someday we'll find out. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, we, don't have to, we don't have to answer every question, but I don't think he's saying this is Scripture. Right, and when one is preaching and one comes across uh, uh, just a admittedly complicated verse, you know, one doesn't have to speak definitively. One can say, as you're preaching, you know, this clearly verse 13 or verse 18 or whatever it is, 
Look, this is a, a, a puzzling verse here, and the good part about God's Word is it is clear and generally very clear, and so when we come across the occasional passage that's obscure or, or perhaps uh, there could be several different explanations, well, we, we interpret the less clear passages by the more clear passages, not vice versa. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and not every question is, is answered, but actually the main teaching of the letter is clear. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, and that's one of the things to understand when we read our Bibles. I mean, the Bible is not given to satisfy, you know, our every curiosity. It's not, right? Yeah. When I went to seminary as a 22-year-old, I thought, now all my questions will be answered. And I learned a ton. And, but, yeah, there, there's, no, there's no course of study anywhere where all your questions are going to be answered until— well, if, if, if those questions are answered in the future, we'll see, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. In glory. So let me try to pull the conversation together here, Dr. Schreiner, with maybe a couple of final questions. Uh, are there any common errors you see Bible teachers, Bible preachers make in the book of Jude, interpretive or otherwise, that you would encourage us to uh, be on the lookout for? Well, you know, probably not because, you know, hardly anybody preaches Jude. So it's hard to see are there that uh, common mistakes that are made, I've, probably the most common one is we just ignore it. Just ignore it. We, yeah. we, we don't, we don't, uh, we don't look at it at all, but yeah, it's not, I don't think it's a, there's well-known mistakes that are made in preaching it. So final question then, listening to our podcast primarily are seminary students, local church ministers, pastors, and maybe they're thinking, okay, perhaps this spring I'll preach the book of Jude. Give us just a final word of encouragement, like why that, maybe that should be a yes, like why you should actually undertake this book. Yeah. Well, I've, first, I, I just want to reiterate again, this book is beautifully written. I, I, I hope you got just some quick indications of this. It's so carefully written. And uh and I think you can see from looking at the letter and, and some of the triads we looked at, there are some sermons waiting to be preached there, not just on judgment, right? Like, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, verse 2, or another text I didn't mention about having mercy on those who sinned in verses 22 and 23. I and mean, that's a powerful sermon, isn't it? Because we've had many who've fallen, and, and Jude Jude isn't saying, give up on people. He's saying, let's do everything we can to pull people out of the fire. So there's so many wonderful themes here on mercy, judgment, grace, the transforming power of God that we can preach. Well, we'll have to leave it there, Dr. Schreiner. Thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. It's uh, my delight, Dr. Allen. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.